Welcome to Aesthetics Mastery, the podcast to help you thrive and raise the bar in your aesthetics practice. I'm Dr. Adam Chong. And I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Dr. Tim Pierce is a founder and director of Skin Viva and Skin Viva Training. And Dr. Adam Chong is a GP and clinical lecturer at Manchester University and a trainer at Skin Viva Training and a clinician at Skin Viva. I didn't mention that you're a GP as well. Yes, I am. Still, still do my GP work. How's your week been, Tim? Um, it's been a really good week. Um, uh, for a couple of reasons um, what, one is um, I've got running again which I recommend to anyone and the only reason I run because I'm one of these annoying people who can eat whatever they want without getting fat um, and I know that's deeply annoying for lots of people um, but I think it'll change as I get older <laughs> but uh, I run to basically improve your mindset and it's I'd forgotten how powerful it is and it's I'd recommend it to anyone it doesn't have to be running but do something to wake you up in the morning because when you wake up and you've got this brain fog and you kind of like oh it's another day and um, 20 minutes running we get back a totally different person and you just feel energized and colors are brighter and food tastes nicer children seem to be like more tolerable um I think <clears> so i really people, recommend it people would struggle with getting up early enough to run because getting out of bed is hard enough but to go and run in the cold like what what is your mindset at that point when you're waking up so today was the first time i ran in the rain and what I do is I've changed what that means to me, which is when I'm feel, I feel it's obviously it's unpleasant, but I imagine that that's just me overcoming the difficulties I'm, I'm going to face in life. And it feels more, more empowering than rather than miserable. Um, getting up early is, is just a decision about when you go to bed, really. Um, I know it's difficult with kids and I do have that issue as well. But mm. a day tired because your toddler wake you up, work you up three times and uh, and then trying to go to work feels a lot better if you squeeze a run in anyway like I would rather sacrifice half an hour of sleep and have 20 minutes of running any day of the week it's much more powerful it's to get you in a good mindset well we'll see how long you can keep it up we'll have weekly updates yeah oh, well, I'm, I'm nine days in every single day so we'll see how that goes impressive okay so let's get straight into today's topic so Tim has got a case that he'd like to discuss with us so take it away so, yeah, really um, upsetting case. I think there's a couple of reasons why. Firstly, um, I have got permission to talk about this case, but we're going to anonymize it to keep it so it's not, it's not political. I don't really want to make any points uh, any way or the other, or particularly to, to make anyone who's involved feel vulnerable, because I do believe everyone in this case is trying their best within the, the remit of what they've got and the powers that they have um, within the organizations and things that they work for. Um, but there's definitely some learning from it, and that's the whole point. I want everyone who listens to this to become a safer injector through what we can learn from it. That's the only reason we discuss it. And that's also why the patient who's shared the case wants us to discuss it is because they want people to get better, which I think is one of the most beautiful things about humans in general is that we always try and make something good out of something bad. Uh, and that's what I'd like to be able to do with this case because it's very upsetting. Um, I do believe it's going to be a reason, reasonable ending apart from the trauma of what going through I don't think there'll be any long lasting effects I hope but, but it's too early we're only 10 days since this event actually happened around 10 days might be a bit later now and can I ask is this someone that you know personally is it someone you've trained uh, so this this came up on, a, on an internet forum um, a really n- nice detailed description which is very rare mm. because and the reason is because the person who's who's had this event is medically trained in aesthetics um, and so they've described it in much more detail than you'd normally get from a patient which is partly what I mean there's part of it that makes you connect with this person more because they're part of our tribe aren't they like we can we I can picture what their life is like they're, they're injecting themselves and now they've had this so you connect with them better but also the description is so much better than what you get from a patient normally um, and that makes it really valuable and I think there's some learning in that for everyone okay 
So, um, yeah, the first thing to know about this case is it was it was done in a training environment, and that's relevant to to how I manage the training school and how we decide to operate. Um, when you think of it in a training environment, it's slightly different to other environments, and that's worth bearing in mind. Um, partly because I think injectors are in a different mindset when you're training. You're following the instructions of someone else. You're not necessarily always entirely in the moment. You're often thinking about all these people and what they're thinking of you and 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 are you doing it too slowly? Are you doing it too quick? There are all these other things that are filling your mind other than what your needle is doing. And, and I think that's worth appreciating for all trainers is that no matter how good the injector is, they could be slightly worse than average when they're being trained. Because I've certainly felt this myself. Done the same injection a thousand times. Have Maurizio de Maio over my shoulder telling me what to do. I suddenly don't feel so good anymore. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and that, and that, there's a connection there with safety. I think you're, and I've, I've actually had this once on a course. Thankfully, nothing happened. But not spotting a positive aspiration because I was too busy focused on the injection and what everyone's thinking. Um, and thankfully, one of the other people standing by spotted it and said, you've got some blood in the needle, and I came out. But I think that there's a danger there around whether you're doing a normal process. Mm-hmm. So I think that context is important. Um, the next thing is to think about what what actually what was actually going on. So there's a nasolabial fold injection. We discussed this, if you haven't listened to our last podcast, we discussed treating the nasolabial fold um, and this, all these problems came from a nasolabial fold injection. It's a really common way to, to treat the nasolabial fold. I think it's probably the way I see taught most often at the moment, which is this deep injection onto the periosteum, um, which is all about what we know about the anatomy, which is that the facial artery, which is the closest blood vessel to that injection, almost always lies in the fat above that area. So if you're on the periosteum, you should be safe. Yeah. So that's what this was supposed to be. Um, needle went in, um, and this is the next point that's worth thinking about, is that the patient experienced then straight away quite a lot of pain. And I think there's something, there's some learning in there about what we do in terms of the pace of injection right at the start of a risky injection, particularly if it's a bolus. And that's another, another thing I want to discuss is bolus injections. So a deep injection on, should have been onto the periosteum with with sudden excruciating pain associated with it. We should, as injectors, be looking for that that response. Even after you've done your positive aspiration, you should be pulling out, finding a new spot if it feels different to other injections. Now, it's tricky because that area is tender because there are nerves that run from the infraorbital. Yeah, but the difference is that it's excruciating pain. Yes. Because as you say, most of these injections down to bone can be painful. Yeah. But this this case... She was in a lot of pain. It was obvious. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever had an IV infusion. I know I have um, when I was a child for, in hospital. And you yeah. feel it going up the blood vessel. Mm. Like There are lots of nerves inside blood vessels. And I'm convinced that it's more sensitive than fat, uh, which is which the other structure you might be near. Um, periosteum, also hopefully you're mainly on top of it. Mm-hmm. But there are, I, I think the sensation of a thick, viscous fluid going up an artery, you should be able to feel that. Okay. Um, so it does make sense to me that, as well as all your other safety steps, is that you, you're quite slow at the start of the bolus and you monitor the patient. And if they react differently, you should think about about what's happening and whether you should change position. I use the, the term, when I'm training people, um, that we should be doing a meaningful aspiration because I think people get into the habit, particularly when they're under pressure or starting off, of uh, pulling back on the syringe but doing it just because that's what we're taught them. I'm trying to get people to, to really look and, and imagine there's a blood vessel right there where your needle is, so you need to be checking that there's no blood. So a, a meaningful aspiration. 
I love that. And I, I also love the what you've said about imagining that there's a blood vessel there because what you're immediately doing is taking them into the moment. They're not thinking about getting the filler in or what time it is or, you know, this is just one of the steps I do so that I can do the really important stuff. You're actually imagining this blood vessel nearby, doing the test and then carefully looking at the barrel um, of the needle and then injecting. That's really, really good tip. And I think that's something that happens when you get scared. I think this podcast is going to do that for people, which is exactly what I want. Um, I think we I w- keep scaring people, don't we? Yeah. I don't know what I'm blindness, yeah. reversals. But it's important, isn't it? Yeah. We, we can't shy away from these topics. But most of all, the people who take this on board are going to have a, few, a fewer problems. This, yeah. this must be happening to people who don't care about safety much more often, and we don't hear about it because they're yeah. probably not at aesthetic conferences. They probably don't share it with their colleagues. It just the patient gets suffers, um, and we don't hear about it. So this is why it's so valuable to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, yeah, that sense of being in the moment, looking very carefully and having those stages in your mind. I put the needle in, I aspirate, I look very carefully at the barrel for at least, you know, I, I've unconsciously increased that time just because I'm because of that thing you said of imagining it. You're imagining this blood vessel. You're imagining how long it takes the filler to slide up back up the barrel. Um, so it's worth it's worth doing that. And so four or five seconds minimum. A lot of people are recommending ten seconds. Yeah. There's a whole discussion around that because that's it's controversial. It's controversial. It's, yeah. it's, it's it's interesting. It's uncertain. I don't know. It shouldn't be controversial whether you aspirate. And if people want to do it for longer or less, at least you're aspirating. Mm-hmm. But um, I certainly wouldn't judge someone who who decides to do it for 10 seconds, um, even though I might have a different view on, on whether that's how, how much extra value that adds. Um, okay, so the point of injection, aspirated apparently, but then after the injection, so we had this immediate pain, and as she came out, the, there was actually, the doctor did notice that there was a little bit of blood in the tip of the needle. Now, this is where that whole thing of meaningful careful carefully looking and we we just don't know we don't know whether that's whether that came into the barrel on the way out or whether it was there from the beginning which i think is quite likely in a training environment that you can miss it if you can just you can just be looking at the needle from the wrong angle and see it might be a bit of plastic that covers the red the tiny little red flash it doesn't take much which is why this really deliberate kind of turning your head looking very carefully at the needle and being certain there's nothing in it particularly in these risky areas um, should become second nature and I'm hoping the little bit of anxiety we add will will do that for people so and and that I think that's one of the one of the things about this case is that there probably was that I think it sounds like there could have been something that could have been prevented had it been in a different environment normal routine um but we must be very considerate to that doctor because we all human we all make mistakes um and and it could just not have been visible and we don't know we are we are trying to figure this out secondhand um, and trying to imagine things that way. I just want people to be safer. This is not, this could definitely have happened to any one of us. Yeah. It could have happened to me. It's easy to discuss in retrospect, isn't it? Anything is easy to pick Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Yeah, in the moment. And it's a stressful environment, these yeah. training things as well. So um, zero, zero judgment. This is just about learning. I want yeah. that to be really clear. Um, okay, so the next thing that I thought was interesting is about the, the pattern of symptoms that this patient got because... We all imagine it's the facial artery in this area. And if you imagine injecting 0.3 mils, which we should come back to the volumes as well, 0.3 mils into the facial artery, it wouldn't be the symptoms which she experienced, which, which I'll describe now. So um, it start, it, she, she basically got pain in her, her, on her hard palate and in her nose. And this is not the, the blood supply of the facial artery, which is what we would tend to be looking for. 
And I think this is really relevant in terms of safety netting patients. And it's certainly something that I'll be adding to my consent process. Because I, I already say if you get pain on the corner of your nose, the ala, because the lateral nasal artery supplies the ala, that's quite a common place where nasal labial fold injection might cause impending necrosis. Mm. But I'll now be adding symptoms in your nose um, or anywhere else in, in your mid-face, basically. It could be, it could be higher up. So anything that's unusual, yeah, absolutely. get in touch with us straight away. Um, and then we need to kind of figure out exactly which blood vessels could have been affected. Now, this has been discussed at length in that forum, and I must credit uh, Lee Walker, um, who he's a, he's a dentist. His background is dentistry. He's obviously, does a lot of facial aesthetics and a trainer as well. And he did a little description about what could have, which arteries could have been blocked. And I've been looking at that this morning, and it doesn't make perfect sense. Um, but it's, I say perfect sense, there's a lot of uncertainty around this, and everyone's vasculature is slightly different. But what, what it does look like, if you think about the blood supply to the nose and the palate, it's the sphenopalatine artery, which supplies the nasal part of where her symptoms were. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the palatine artery. Um, and these these blood vessels are basically part of the they're part of the third part of the maxillary artery which isn't an artery which gets talked a lot about in aesthetics no. and the reason for that is because it's not usually in a place we can easily reach um, although we did talk about we should talk about what you the point you made before we came on the, onto the recording yeah so that that was about the, the position of the maxillary artery so it is a branch of the external carotid and a, a similar um, position of where the transverse facial comes off the maxillary seems to come off but just deeper which yeah. is probably why it's not talked about as much because it is very deep. It seems to be under the zygoma, actually under there. So it'd be very hard to actually hit it at that point. But yeah, the, the, I mean, that's that's as much as I've really read about the maxillary. So I wasn't aware about all these other branches which could be affected, I suppose. But you know, um, when you're treating a lateral cheek and particularly in older people, and that, that zygoma oh, yeah. thins, gets really thin. I mean, if you're treating a 68-year-old, it can be a very small target to hit. And we know from training, and even from your own treatments, you, you think you're about to hit it and you miss it. Yeah. And what's behind that? Now, if your artery's long enough or the anatomy's slightly different, maybe you're close enough to get into that artery. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a consideration from, from reading about the anatomy now. Yeah. So it's so, not just that transverse, it's facial, it's the maxillary as well. And it's, it's so important to make sure you're on that bone mm. um, and not inferior to it. But that sense that I think you've got to, what I'd like people to also get from this is there's a, there should be a sense of safety. If you're going to use a needle, you should be thinking about the bone representing safety, lateral zygoma, and also the nasolabial fold. You should be safer if you're touching the bone. And the sense that, oh gosh, I'm going deep, which I think a lot of people feel when they first learn this injection, and they actually somehow feel safer, less deep, that's a problem. Like you've got to associate this depth with safety and the sense of solid, the solidness you get from resting the needle tip on a bone with, mm. with a good thing, not a bad thing. Even though it can hurt your patients sometimes, it, just, it, does, it is a little bit more sensitive. It's I think, safer. I think we mentioned it before. Technique-wise, you can modify that bolus as you go along the zygoma from a 90-degree um, angle of your needle to actually changing it to more like 35, 45 degrees so that um, you are still going to go deep but then you can try and tap the bone with your needle. Um, but it's not going to slip off like it will do if it's perpendicular mm-hmm. but that way you can still get quite deep. Yeah and the, the, I, I, I use that technique as well sometimes I know lots of other injectors um, we talk about both but the, absolutely the key thing is are you on bone um, because that's, that's a really good indication that you're not near an artery. Okay. Um, so, okay, so we've got this situation of pain 
that develops and then these symptoms that, are, that, that then develop afterwards. So the, what they did immediately was to highlight the area. So this, there was a sense that, that this was different um, and they should highlight it, which is great. Um, and then the symptoms seemed to prove immediately, which I immediately thought was a little bit odd. Whether that was the placebo effect because you feel because it's the patient expecting to, it to improve or whether there was some other factor that worked. I don't know if there was lidocaine mixed in with it. Probably not. Uh, some people mix lidocaine with hyalase. Um, but it doesn't make sense to me if you're injecting. By the way, the product I don't think I said was Voluma. So there's a very highly cross-linked dermal filler that should take a, a basically hours to dissolve, not not minutes. Mm. Um, so I don't know if it really had had done what they thought it would do. And the question I'd ask is, and this is no, I don't actually know what happened after this in, in very much detail. But what what are we doing to monitor improvement? How closely are you examining your patient? Um, where where are you checking for capillary refill? And I'll say again that the, what I learned from my my first occlusion where I was injecting is that re, it's no good lightly touching the skin and checking for capillary refill because I think there's blood in the skin, especially in the early stages. It hasn't turned dark yet. It's not. It's still oxygenated. Yeah. A really firm yeah. compression and to map out that entire course of the artery. The, the bit that's difficult here is you pro, at this stage most people would have thought facial artery, uh, and actually. It wasn't. I don't think it was. I'm, I think, looking at the anatomy, it does make sense to me that the next closest artery to that is the is the infraorbital artery. And perhaps there was a little branch running down. Obviously, we didn't see this injection. I don't know how superior the entry point was. But if you got a small branch of the infraorbital, it could have flowed back up into this third part of the maxillary artery. Um, and that would, have, that would have blocked the arteries, which we know are affecting the palate and the gingiva, because um, she also had gum pain as well. Okay. Um, and the so it's the, it's those arteries that are blocked, which are all internal and a little bit hard to hyalase as well, which is another thing we're thinking about. So they'd only hyalase at the nasolabial apex at this point. Uh, yes, okay. um, they flooded the area with at the nasolabial fold, and um, I believe anywhere else that was affected also came later on. So I have got the full description, um, but basically it's it is it's it's as new symptoms are developing, they're hyalasing more and more of it. So even within the palate, that's also been highlighted. But so they they highlighted intraorally. Um, yes, I believe oh. they did later on. Um, she's also had the medication started the uh, sildenafil. I don't think it was sildenafil, but t- teladafil and yeah. prednisolone, aspirin. Um, and that's all just to decrease inflammation, hopefully aid a little bit more blood flow. Um, but there there probably has been necrosis in inside her nasal septum. Um, I don't know what the situation is now. Blocked nose, nosebleeds are the symptoms. So this might be something else that you include that you think about when your patient rings up saying I've got a sore nose or a nosebleed. I would get them back in and and at least have a look. Mm, okay. Um, so the final the the other point I wanted to make was about the boluses. So thinking about this, all these deep injections, same with temples, and we do deep injections on the bone with temples. Boluses are. If they're in the right place, it's it's safe, obviously, but the penalty for failure if you happen to be in a blood vessel is, is much bigger if you're injecting 0.3 of a mil, which is how most of us have been trained, actually, which is that you can do 0.3 of a mil, top end, nasolabial fold. But what are we going to do to reduce the risk of that if it is in an artery? Now, there, possibly it's around the sensation of pain. Maybe it's that we separate because it, it would be better to put... Um, this is all debatable. I don't, I'm not even sure in my own mind, but would it be better to do three separate boluses of 0.1 so that at least you've only, the worst case, you've done 1.1 blockage? Or is that just tripling your chance of getting 0.1 uh, 
um, in the wrong place. So I'm, I'm not entirely certain about it, but I do know that if you putting all of it into one is is significantly worse than putting small amounts into one blood vessel because you just affect so much more of the vasculature. How about using a cannula for that area? Well, actually, I think this is probably the biggest, the most important thing to come out of this. If you can get the same result out of using a cannula, absolutely, we should. You, I think we should be using cannulas much more often, and we're definitely seeing a pickup. We have a we have a, our own cannula course which is running at the moment. We've got two dates already booked up for it. Um, it makes perfect sense to me that 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 when it's the same, it does take longer. And cannula has always been seen as the thing you learn after you've learned how to use needles. But I, I'm, my feeling is we should more rapidly be moving to using cannulas much more of the face. And it's addictive because you, you realize patients are bruising less, it's less painful for most of them. Um, sometimes it can even be a little bit quicker because you, you're only making one entry point instead of multiple ones. So I, I do think there's a lot to be said about moving towards cannula for as much of the face as possible. There are still areas where needle might be superior, but um, let's, let's do more cannula work. Do you think the reluctance for some people is the difficulty with getting quite as deep? With the cannula, because the the aperture on the cannula is slightly on the what would you call it the shaft of the needle itself, mm. whereas it's not facing downwards. So to actually lay some filler down on the bone makes it trickier. I personally don't use a cannula for any of the deep boluses. I only use it for the the mid depth yeah. um, injections. I do so. I'm, and, I, and I think that's because your cannula basically stays in the plane where it's easiest to pass which is where the fat is it's actually in the hypodermis and um, we're never it's very hard to get to periosteum and you can't really be in the dermis um, because it's, there's so much resistance so you end up in the fat and mm. um, you can be on the deep side of the fat or the superficial side of the fat and that's what we're often trying to do is trying trying to get deep without negating the whole thing with the cannula as you're causing less trauma so if you really force it onto the onto the onto the periosteum you might just have forced it into a blood vessel yeah. So it's about gently trying to find the deepest plane. Mm. Um, I don't see... I've used cannula for nasolabial folds um, quite regularly. I, I haven't noticed a significant difference, but in theory it's a bit less stable in the fat. It may last a little bit less long. It's not going to support you know, the base of the nose quite as well as something that's on the periosteum. But is, it, is, that, is that decrease in effectiveness worth it for a little bit more safety? Because yeah. um, I think some yeah. people um, have been taught just the fanning technique... Um, I had a delegate the other day who was surprised when we talked about the bolus down on bone. So they just do the fanning, um, but I, I can't compare results because I I always do that bolus as well. Yeah, well, fanning's okay if you're superficial enough, but it, the angle of the needle is pointed at the lateral nasal artery and the facial artery, and it it does make sense to me that it doesn't take much to be a little bit deeper, and you're also waving that needle around in more places. So the chance that you're going to get some filler in there, it does it it does make sense to me that the deep bolus. With a, with a negative aspiration will be safer. Um, but, yeah, it's very hard to get proper data on these things. So you, mm-hmm. we're always trying to work it out from first principles, um, which is why I have this thing about mental models. We all need to be developing a mental model. So you, as an example of that, you shouldn't just switch to cannulas because I've said switch to cannulas. You should you should compare what I've said with your existing mental model and say, does that make sense that it's going to achieve the same result based on what I already know? and based on the risk that I, I can perceive with a needle, mm-hmm. and then make a decision. Otherwise, what I'd see people do is they switch, whichever the, the latest so-called you know, expert has says, they immediately switch. And that just they just pinball around without ever building on their knowledge. They're just doing different things with different people. So you've got to integrate whatever the person who is, is, is teaching you, integrate that into your current knowledge, and then make your own decision based on that. It's a lot, there's a lot more thinking involved. 
Um, but I think you'll actually, you'll incrementally get better as opposed to just switching every time someone um, persuades you to. Can I ask you personally what, what I mean, I don't think ne- we've necessarily finished the story here, but what's your, um, have you changed the way you inject this area just from this case alone? Uh, I, I, actually, I actually did recently. I, did, I think I did the, f- the first nasal labial fold since then and, and I did it with a cannula. Yeah. Okay. And just um, tried to get as deep as possible. Yeah. It wasn't a very deep nasal, effect, nasal labial fold. It was quite simple. Okay. It wasn't kind of, you know, it's different when you've got a, a really recessed area and you, you want to actually project the mid-face more. I think I'd be inclined to be going back to using needles. But okay. certainly much that deliberate aspiration... Um, all of those other things. I think there's loads of things you can do without changing the technique that will make this safer. Uh, and bearing in mind, we've all been doing this injection for many years, and it's not a common story. This yeah. this is a very rare event. Um, this is, which is also helps if the people who are involved actually listen to us. We've got to take into account that even doing everything right, no matter what you do, whether it's a cannula or not, bad things will sometimes happen. We're just trying to chip away at that risk and make it one in a million rather than one in a hundred thousand or whatever the risk is. Absolutely. Okay, was there anything else still? It might be just useful to know what happened from there um, briefly. So she had these symptoms, she was highlighted in the different areas. What, what was the next so occurrence? So the, the, there were lots of symptoms around the eyes, ocular migraine, um, a sense of discomfort and pain. It, there's a lot of discomfort and pain going on, uh, nosebleeds. So there's, there's, there's disruption to, the, to more than just that area now. Apart from that, it doesn't sound to me like there's a huge amount of, of certainly nothing superficial in terms of necrosis. There's a concern around the eyes um, because there is, a, in theory, a connection, but it's, it's not the most direct connection. But because she's had pain around her eyes, there's, there's been a review from um, oculoplastics and there's lots of people have offered amazing amounts of, of help, um, which is great. Um, but it's, it's just a general, I think it's just a general sense. There's two particular focuses which are, which are in, intraorally the palate and the nose and that's just okay. progressing and I think probably at this stage it'll be it'll be starting the healing phase and we're just trying to limit that um, but there's not I'm hopeful that these areas will heal up and it won't be any long-term problems which is which is great obviously okay well yeah again this has been a really useful talk for me um, clinically to you know I, I'm going to change my practice now I'm going to talk in the consent form about those symptoms you described nosebleeds pain in the soft in the in the hard palate and the roof of the mouth um and also i'm going to think more about this maxillary artery yeah possibly learn a bit more about its anatomy so that's been really useful and i hope i hope the listeners agree with that so once i mean our take-homes always the same get our emergency protocol which you can get on the skin viva training website yeah. um you can also get it on and the thing about our protocol is it's, it's very visual and it's very stepwise and it talks about consent and all the other things which people forget it's not just about how much highlays you inject although that's included um so make sure you get that from the skin viva training website or drsimpias.com you can get it on there as well but um be prepared for it. Think about the tiny things you can do every day that, that chip away at risk rather than just aspirating. It's literally, it's as you said, all those details are really good to have that fresh in your mind and to get practiced as doing it. It becomes second nature. You do it without thinking every little step. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Did we talk about bolus? The bolus. Um, well, the, the the thing with the bolus is it's just more in one spot. So I think we kind of did cover a little yeah. bit of it. So are and you speed? Yeah, the speed injecting slowly, 
being being a monitoring a patient at every point being in the moment like like you said really monitoring it's not about getting that injection done so you can move on with the next injection it's about taking as much information in while you're injecting and thinking about what could be going wrong and always chipping away at that risk okay we've just been playing footsie under the table haven't we <laughs> was, that thought in- that. was that intentional <laughs> stop flirting with me dr tim i thought it was a table leg <laughs> um okay so to finish off i thought we'd just do a quick consultation tip as well so tim and i were talking about something called signposting which is a useful technique to use to allay your client's anxieties. It's a good way of structuring your consultation a little bit as you're going along. Um, and it just provides a bit of reassurance to the client what is coming next. It's as simple as that. So for example, you might say that, okay, so we've, we've, we've talked about the consent. So next I'd like to, to clean, clean the makeup off your face and we're gonna draw some dots with a pencil. Um, so keeping the client, you know, along the journey with you the whole time really helps to to allay some of that anxiety yeah and I know, I know lots of people listening because I've done this when you forget to tell your patient that you're about to mark their face with a pencil and yes. their eyes are closed they sometimes <laughs> <Flinch>. jump <laughs> because they, you didn't tell them that it was going to be a pencil not, an, not a needle so that, that's a classic example they're uncertain what's going to happen and they expect the worst and it just ups the anxiety and you could very easily have just said the next stage is I'm going to mark on your face with a pencil yeah. The other benefit, and you'll know this, and all the GPs I know, in fact, all of us will know in different ways, but it, if, you, if you describe the structure before you go through it, you have more control, it makes it quicker, and you don't get as many tangents developing the consultation. Absolutely. And, and it's really good to say, these are the steps, now I'm doing this, now I'm doing that, because you maintain control of that. So it feels, they like that, by the way. It doesn't feel controlling, it feels predictable, and they feel like they're in a nice process that's going to give them what they want at the end and is as... as there's little anxiety as possible. I love signposting. I remember not liking it when I was learning it as a, as a GP. I thought, well, I have to tell them I'm going to print off the prescription now. Well, now I know because if you don't tell them that, they start asking you more questions and you get behind. Absolutely. It helps to reinforce things, doesn't it? And it actually saves time, I think, yeah. in the for some complications. Okay, so that wraps up this week's podcast. I think next week we will be talking about modules and ellipse, hopefully. Um, so thank you very much, Dr. Tim. Great. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.